Welcome to the weekly podcast from Faith Community Church in Janesville, Wisconsin. For more information about Faith Community, please visit our website at www.faithcommunitychurch.net or check us out on Facebook by searching Faith Community Church Janesville. You can also reach us by email at podcast at faithjanesville.org. You can be a part of this ministry and help advance the kingdom by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a five-star review. This helps us spread the word of God in the podcast world, allowing us to better reach more people in the name of Christ. Good to see you today. Welcome, those of you who are online, TV, radio, however you're tuning in, wherever you're tuning in, whoever you are, we welcome you into our service today. How many of you, and let me see your hands, how many of you today, to one degree or another, are a pack rat? Let me see your hands. Oh man, we got a lot of pack rats. Yeah, I've got a lady, she's a little bit of an extreme example that I want to show you today, but uh, so perhaps it's in your basement, perhaps it's in your attic, or for this lady, or her garage, but for this lady, it's right in her house. I've been in houses actually worse than that. I've been in businesses worse than that where you can hardly move, right? And so the idea is that you don't want to throw anything away, and so you just kind of build up this clutter, but you can never find anything in there, of course. You don't, you know, it's not gone, but you can't access it. And of course, if it, it gets unhealthy for a lot of reasons, right? Unhealthy. And it's not a good thing to do. However, there is also, and I won't ask for a raise the hands of this one, there also is among us a tendency to accumulate emotional clutter, emotional baggage. Uh, emotional pain that we haven't processed correctly. And we've kind of stuffed inside. And over the years, it's accumulated. And it's contaminated our soul. And so let's talk about that today. And we're going to look at Jesus, and we're going to see how he lived so we can learn how to live our life. We are going through what we call the gospel project. And we're studying the life of Jesus. And we spent the first two weeks focusing on the deity of Jesus, that he is fully God. And I want to spend this week focusing on the humanity of Jesus, that he was also fully man. And I want to make a statement I believe is true. There's a lot of reasons why Jesus took on flesh. One was to bear sin. It was to atone for sin. And secondly, it was to give revelation to us. Revelation of the, about Father, revelation about heaven, revelation about who we are and how we can know him. And thirdly, it was to be a paragon, to be a model of perfection, to show us how to live, to show us how to love, and to show us how to process pain. And so we're going to look at a passage beginning this morning from Philippians chapter 2, a much debated, much uh, controversial to some degree, surprisingly, passage about Jesus, particularly verses 6 and 7. In Philippians 2, Paul says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset 
as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. And so theologians debate, what does that mean in very nature God? What does that mean uh, did not use to his advantage? Rather, he made himself nothing or emptied himself, being the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. Well, whatever emptying himself, that's what the verb means here, whatever that means, it certainly doesn't mean emptying himself of deity. Because Colossians 1 and 2 say, in him all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And so theologians debate this. They have different schools of thought. And they usually, what they do is a strategy is to put it under a microscope and to just parse and to, to pick apart and to study these words and, and try to figure out what does it mean in the humanity of Jesus that he emptied himself, that he became a servant. And I think that's an okay way to do it. There's nothing wrong with that, the close examination of the microscope. But I think for a better understanding of what it means that Jesus emptied himself and became a servant, I think we need to use a wide-angle lens instead of a microscope. I think the scripture you want to study to find out what this verse means are these scriptures right here. The entirety of the book of Matthew, the entirety of the book of Mark, the entirety of the book of Luke, the entirety of the book of John. And that's what we are doing today. And we're going to do a panorama of the life of Jesus from his childhood to the beginning of his ministry to the end of his ministry. And we're going to see how he dealt with his humanity. And we're going to begin now, we're recording this in September. Maybe you're listening to it later on. Uh, but this is September, so we call this Christmas in September as we're looking at some of these Christmas stories. And so let's begin in chapter 2, verse 1. We'll be dispelling some Christmas myths today. It says also, it says, after that time, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. We sing the song, We Three Kings from Orient Are. It's a good song. I'll keep singing it, but it's not a very biblically accurate song. Uh, one is, we don't know there are three kings. There were three gifts. There doesn't say there was three of them. There could have been three. There could have also been 30. We don't know. Also, they're not from the Orient. They're from the East, probably from Persia. Possibly they are left over from the exile when Daniel and the others were taken into Babylon and did not return. They are magi. They're not kings. They're wise men. They study the stars. They study the movement of the planet. They study astronomy. And they see these signs in the cosmos that a king has been born, and they begin this long journey to Bethlehem. They ask, where is this one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And of course, Herod is disturbed by that because Herod sees Jesus as a threat to his throne. If there's another king, that means he's going to ascend to my throne. He's also a, a, a threat to my sons and my grandsons. So Herod, the audacity and the arrogance of this man, thinks that he can thwart the plan of God. He devises a plan eventually to kill off every male child in the region because that way he's eliminated. One of them has to be this Jesus, and that way he's eliminated the threat. Sick, disturbing man. And so 
they leave. It says after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and a star arose. And when it had seen it, when it went, let me just start that again. Let me back up what I was going to, the reason I got my mix all talked up there <laughs> is because I was thinking when Herod left, when they left Herod, he said, hey, when you find this king, tell me so I can come and worship him too. So he made himself sound like this great guy. You know, and they're leaving, go, man, what a guy. You know, what a king. He's, he's willing to, to lay aside his throne for the, this king of kings kind of thing. But he was actually, you know, a wolf in disguise. Now maybe I can read. Let's find out. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. This is the end of their journey. On coming to the house, notice it's a house, not a manger, right? And they saw the child, not a baby. The Greek word here is for a small child. So there's been time that has passed, months uh, at the least, and possibly over a year since Christ has been born. And so those signs, I don't want you to go destroying manger scenes this Christmas. You know, take your axe out to some your neighbor's magi. They weren't there! You know, don't go crazy. But just so you know, they weren't there. Okay. They bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill it. We just kind of reach, kill him. We just read over that, and we don't think of the gravity of what has just been told him. It's not like, oh, I need milk for the baby. Let me run to the grocery store. He's going to Egypt. This is a 350-mile journey on foot. 350 miles with a little baby, right? We think it's hard to, to drive, you know, six hours in a car with a baby. Imagine taking a baby on foot 350 miles through the desert, months journey, all right? There's no oasis. There's no hotels. There's no restaurants along the way, right? This is going to be a difficult, long journey to Egypt. Jesus' first words will not be spoken from Bethlehem. They will be spoken in Egypt. His first steps will be taken not in the Holy Land. His first steps will be taken in Egypt. Soon they will be seeing the, pyram the, the pyramids that you and I can see. They were up then. And it's cool to, to be, I've never gone, but you can go to Egypt and look at the same pyramids that Jesus looked at. It's pretty cool. But that's how his childhood was spent. Probably the first three years of his life were spent as a foreigner, were spent as an exile, were spent as a stranger. And so he got up and took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. Joseph is underrated, guys. Uh, the man of faith and the man of action that he was, we don't talk about enough. Where he stayed until the death of Herod, and so fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt have I called my son. When Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. 
And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in his vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. So in other words, the Magi said, it's been a while since Jesus was born, and so two years and under. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are seeking the child, take the child's life, are dead. So he got up and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. And then again, but when they heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, they were afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth, which fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. What I want to ask you is why does God go through all this trouble to send Mary and Jesus and Joseph 350 miles away to Egypt? And why is it when they're coming back, there's another dream about Archelaus and saying, and they end up rerouting into another city? I mean, he is the divine son of God. All the fullness of the deity lives within him. Can't God find another way? I mean, you know those angels with the flaming swords? Can't he just put a couple of those around Jesus, right? I mean, those flaming swords are more awesome than the Star Wars lightsabers, I just sit him out there, and my inner nerd starts going wild when I start thinking about that. How about a force field around him? Or how about just some old-fashioned Old Testament smoting, right? If you got too close to the ark, you would get smote. You get too close to baby Jesus, you're toast. I mean, like one Roman soldier gets too close, and there's not going to be a second, right? They'll be like, yeah, I'm not going near that kid, you know? I mean, there's other ways God, why doesn't God choose those things? Could that be part of what Philippians 2 is talking about here when it says he laid aside the privilege of deity and not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped? Could that be part of fully entering into our humanity that he had no shortcuts in his life? He took no shortcuts. He never did things the easy way. He did things the hard way. He begins his earthly ministry, and the first thing is the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness. It said, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan. And you'd think maybe he's going to go into Bethlehem or Jerusalem for a ticker tape parade. Here's the Messiah, the long-awaited Redeemer. Celebrate, rejoice. Horns, trumpets, but no. He goes into the wilderness. And for 40 days, he was tempted by the devil. Listen, you know, we can say Jesus was tempted in all things as we, and that's true. But we can also say, and more than, right? You have never been the focus of the enemy's sole attention for 40 days of temptation. You and I aren't that important. We've never been the sole attention of the enemy for 40 days. He took everything the enemy had in his arsenal, every temptation, every test, I often wonder during those 40 days if everybody else got a lot better. If there were guys who just started, you know, treating their wives better and thieves who stopped stealing and things like that because Satan's, you know, focused. Not that funny. It's just an observation. <laughs> the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. In other words, you're really hungry. You've gone for days without food, and that, that stone kind of looks like a loaf of bread, but I know who you are. I know what you can do. He knew exactly who he was dealing with. 
Turn the stone to bread. Take a shortcut. Satan's never tempted you or I to turn stone to bread, right? Because we can't. But he knows who Jesus is. And he says, turn the stone to bread. Take a shortcut. Use your, use your powers. Use your deity. And Jesus answered, it is written, man should not live on bread alone, which reminds me, was it the 80s? We had the song, We Are the World, to raise money. It was a good song, right? Good cause. But Willie Nelson sings the lyric, as God has shown us by turning stone to bread. And you're like, no, Willie. He didn't turn the stone to bread. That's the whole point. He resisted the temptation. And Jesus led him on high to a high place, led him, led him to a high place and shown him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you will worship me, it will all be yours. Take this shortcut. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand in the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Manifest your powers. Use your privilege. You're not going to die. Jump off. Show everybody who you are. Show everybody you're the Messiah. Certainly, they'll wonder and be amazed and follow you. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. No shortcuts for Jesus. He endures temptation. He endures testing, just like you and I do. He fully experiences humanity, so you and I can fully experience ours. At the end of his ministry, as the week of the Passion has come, he's been betrayed by Judas, and they've had the Last Supper, and they're on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And he is being arrested, and Peter is upset. And Peter takes his sword, and he cuts off an ear of a man named Malchus. And another gospel said, Jesus takes up the ear and puts it back on his head. And instantly he's healed. And he says, put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Oh, by the way, you know, before this happened, some of you might say, well, I'm going to blow your theory here, Pastor. Because remember when the guards and the Roman soldiers and the scribes and the Pharisees, is about 800 men come to capture Jesus. And they say, he says to them, whom do you seek? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says to them, what? I am. And when he says, I am, they all fall down on the ground. 800 men down. Boom. Right? Now, as a ma- and you say, well, that was a manifestation of his power and deity. And I would say it sure was. But it's a moot point because he's still arrested. He still goes to the cross. That manifestation didn't save him from anything. It was not a shortcut. All it was was a message to those men that you're not taking me, I'm going with you. I'm choosing to go with you. I'm not going with you because I have to. Do you think I cannot call my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? If I read my Old Testament correctly, Jesus didn't need 12 legions of angels, he just needed one. 
one could have done the job. Don't you think I can get out of this if I want to, Peter? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know the power that is at my disposal? I'm not going to take a shortcut. I'm going to fully experience what the will of the Father is for me. Now, having said all that, we're going to bring this all back around to the clutter. Why we talked about that. As we go through life, bad things happen to us, right? Some we cause ourselves, some others cause for us. Jesus was no exception. Jesus fully enters humanity, and he is burned by others. He is betrayed by others. He is forsaken. He is lied to. He is lied about. He is rejected. He is spurned. He is ridiculed. He suffers physically. He goes through death of loved ones. Jesus goes through the same emotional pain that you and I do. But we've seen from these passages that he is not taking shortcuts. He is fully entering in to our humanity. So when we go through emotional hardship, not if, when, we have two options. One is to repress and the other is to express. Those are our only two options. We can either keep it inside or we can express it, hopefully, in a healthy way. If we choose to repress, then there are two options that happen. One is isolation. Right? That is where I, I just say, you know what? You're not going to burn me again. You've hurt me. You're not going to hurt me again. And so the person who has been hurt, they take this emotional pain, and rather than process it, what they say is, I'm going to cut this person off. And now, I'm not, there's sometimes the people should be cut off. I'm not saying that. But I'm talking about the person who's writing people off. You hurt me, I'm writing you off. You hurt me, I'm writing I talked to a guy recently. His dad said something offensive to him. He says, I wrote him off. I haven't talked to him in 10 years. And said it almost like he was proud of it. I was thinking, go, go talk to your dad, right? But these, you know, isolate. And it gets really easy right now in COVID to, to, to do this because now it's okay to isolate, right? And so it becomes really easy just to isolate and, and remove contact, kind of put myself in an insulation bubble. But the reason many people do that is because they've been hurt and they don't want to be hurt again. And so if I just don't have relationships, if I just don't take relational risk, and the second thing that happens is fixation. You get stuck there. Because you didn't process correctly, because you didn't deal with it correctly, you get stuck. You haven't processed that emotion. You haven't dealt with that pain. You know, you know say, well, it's hard. It's painful. When I think about what happened to me, or when I think about what I did, I get sad, I cry, I get angry. You know, I, I, I feel depression. It hurts. It, and I don't want to deal with it. It's painful. It's ugly. It's dark. And I'd say, yeah, it, it, it is. But you know what's harder? Carrying it around your whole life. That's harder. Living with it decade after decade. And the results of this emotional clutter that contaminates your soul. 
Some of us need to be taking out some soul trash today. How do we do that? It's three-step process. You acknowledge the problem. You acknowledge the pain. You take the time to say this. Yeah, this is this is it. This is what is hurting me. This is what is this is the problem. I acknowledge the pain and I experience the pain. I experience that emotional pain that I've repressed that I've pushed aside. You've got to experience, you've got to work through it so God can take you beyond it. And lastly, you express it. You express it in a healthy way, in a safe way. You talk about it to a safe person in a safe place. You write out, some people write out their feelings. Some people write poems to express their pain. Some people use art to express their pain. When I was a little boy, I was four years old when my dad died of cancer, and I had a lot of anger. And I wasn't doing so well in school. I'm first grade. I'm five years old. <clears throat> and uh, I'm drawing pictures for the school psychologist, but I had no idea who she was. I just know this nice lady pulled me out of class once a week to draw pictures. That was fun. Draw me a picture that tells me about this. And so I draw a picture. And then she'd ask me to talk about the picture. And she discovered a lot of things about how I was not processing the death of my father so well, and changes that need to be made by my teacher, and changes that need to be made at home, and it worked. It worked because a little five-year-old boy really can't tell you how he's feeling about the death of his dad. And so she used art as a safe way to express my pain. I was probably in my 20s or 30s maybe, and I got a really bad sliver in my toe. And I didn't want to get it out because it was already kind of deep in there. And I said to myself, it'll work itself out. If I just ignore it, it'll just work itself out. Guess what, Doc? It didn't work itself out. It just got covered up with skin and then, and then got all kind of oozy, you know, and icky. I don't want to go into details. Lunch is coming up. But <laughs> I just kind of learned to live with this limp. You know, and I put up with this thing for a couple of weeks. And finally, it just got to be intolerable. My mother-in-law is really good with a needle. And I took up the courage. I acknowledged my problem. And I said, hey, Ma, I got a problem. I got this sliver. And she was all too eager to get out that <laughs> thing and pop my skin. And it was, it was like everybody all of a sudden, you know, she puts the big sewing light on me. Gets out her glasses and gets out the, the, the needle and like the whole family gathers around. Like I'm this spectacle that they're going to watch this operation. And I'm thinking it's going to hurt. And it hurt. It hurt. And all that junk started to come out of there. Right? And what happened was after I was done, it still hurt. But here's the difference. It's out. It's out. I've dealt with it. I, you know, I dealt. I acknowledged it. I, I experienced the pain, and it's out now. Healing can begin. That's what I'm talking about. Okay, as long as you're stuffing it inside, healing can't take place. You've got to acknowledge it. You've got to experience it. You have to express it. So, how did Jesus deal with his emotional pain? Remember, we're in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
I realize I got to talk faster. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. In other words, his countenance, his face began to show his pain. And he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Wow, right? That's, that's amazing. Jesus is bearing his soul to his close friends. He said, I know the cross is ahead of me. I'm going to bear sin. I'm going to die. I know what's going to take place. The Father is going to turn his back on me. He knows he's going to cry out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he says, I am overwhelmed with sorrow. He acknowledges what he's going through. He expresses it to safe people at his safe place. And he says, stay here and keep watch with me. I need you. You know, think about how humble that is, right? The greatest person that ever lived was humble. I need you. And some of us who can't even find our car keys sometimes, we think we don't need anybody's help. What's wrong with that picture? God has become flesh, and he says, I need you, my created beings. I need you to hang with me right now. And we're like, oh, I don't want to bother anybody. I'll just go through it alone. I'm thinking that we're doing something great, right? That's not great. It's, it's prideful, and it's, it's not helpful. It's not helping you. If Jesus acknowledged his need for help, you need to acknowledge your need for help. And then he goes away, and he, and he comes back, and they're sleeping. And then he returned, and his disciples found them sleeping. And then Jesus began to give them the silent treatment, it says. And finally, one of them approached Jesus and said, Jesus, I can tell something's bothering you. What's wrong? And he said, nothing. And then John says, no, there's got to be something. Tell us what's wrong. And he says, well, you know what you did. Right? And then Jesus isolated himself from the disciples and cut them off so they would never hurt him again. Is that, is that how Jesus dealt with his junk? What does he do? He wakes them up and he says, couldn't you men keep watch with me for an hour? He asked Peter. He expresses his disappointment. He expresses his frustration. He doesn't stew on it. He doesn't stuff it down. He gets it out. And then he says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He gives him another chance. Let's try it again. Let's do it again. He forgives them. He says, let's, let's do it again. Let's move on. The truth of this is so important that Jesus, in fully experiencing our humanity, was that so he could be our high priest, our perfect high priest. We studied Hebrews a while ago in Hebrews chapter 4. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Isn't that good to know? Not a God who's just transcendent and aloof from his creation, but one who's experienced our life, our emotional pain, our physical pain, and even to the point of death. But it's been tempted in every way just as we are yet without sin. 
Let us therefore approach God's throne of grace with confidence. You ever gone to somebody that you just know if I go to this person, they're going to listen to me and they're going to help me? And you just know it, right? He said, you can come to Jesus and you can just know that you're going to receive grace so that we may find, receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You know that you will find it in Jesus. Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah prophesied 700 years before about the suffering of Christ. When we think about the cross, we, we think about atonement for sin and rightly so. But the atonement is, is greater than that. It was not only for the sin, but the consequences of the sin, the emotional consequences of living in this fallen world. It says he was despised and abandoned by men, a man of great pain and familiar with sickness. However, it was our sicknesses that he himself bore and our pains that he carried. You know, we call people forward for prayer. Some of you have come from time to time. Others of you have never come. But when you come forward, and I'm not in any way saying, minimizing the, the actual prayer, but you know what's also important? Is when we say to them, why are you here today? Or how can I help you today? Or how can we pray for you today? And that person begins to express their soul. That person takes some of that clutter and says, I got this stuff. And it's bothering me. And it's heavy. And it stinks. And I don't want it in my life. Well, there's been a loved one, a loved one I care about, and this is the junk they're going through. And it's been bothering me. And they stand, and sometimes even before they get the prayer request out, they'll start crying. Another way of putting it, even before they get the prayer request out, they start healing. Because just in the process of letting it go, the process of starting to express, it's part of the healing, guys. It's, it's not a finished work, right? It's not a finished work, but it's beginning the process of healing. Does anybody have any emotional clutter in your soul that you need to get rid of? Nod your head. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today as, as people who have been hurt. And hurt people hurt people. We don't process what we need to process. When we repress and stuff it down, it manifests itself. Lord, we hurt others. We hurt ourselves because we don't want to acknowledge the pain. But we've seen in the Scripture, as we've looked in the entirety of the gospel, from your childhood to the, to the beginning of your ministry to the end, you fully experienced humanity. And you dealt with this emotional baggage and pain by expressing it in a healthy way. By speaking to the Father. By opening your soul. Your soul did not have the emotional clutter that ours does. You did not hoard as we do. And so Lord, I ask you today through your grace and through your Holy Spirit to give us the strength to take out the trash. Give us the strength to acknowledge the pain that's in our past, the things that have caused us pain. Experience that. Give us the strength and courage to experience that what we need to experience. 
and to express what we need to express and how we need to express it in a healthy and a safe way that we can begin the process of healing. Because, Lord, there's junk that needs to come out. There's stuff that's cluttered up our soul too long. And so we look to you as our example, as our model. As you enter humanity fully, help us to fully enter into ours, experience everything we need to so we can grow and move on and become who you've made us to be. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. After service, if you need prayer, please come forward. We've got a team in front who will pray with you. Uh, as we stand to close our service, I want to remind you of a couple things. The first is GPS. As we come into the fall, uh, it's re- we're about between Janesville, State Line, and Spanish, we're about 100 volunteers short, mostly in children's ministry. That's the area that's been hit the hardest from the pandemic. Our attendance is about 20, 25% down. Uh, but that's kind of across the nation. But it's the down in volunteers, especially in children's ministry and some other areas. Many of you are already busy with important things in the church. Some of you help lead support groups or small groups or, so, or men's ministry or women's ministry. Or you teach in children's ministry uh, or you teach classes. Those, those are jobs that require hours of preparation before you get here. But there's some jobs on the weekend that don't. There's some jobs that you can still do your small group or whatever it is and take on another weekend job. Become a greeter, become an usher, help in the children's ministry. Not be a teacher, but just be there to assist and to help. Uh, if, if we, our goal is 100 people in the next couple of months. And so if you could take GPS, we had 50 people take GPS last week in the Spanish church. That's fantastic. Spanish church grows by, there's a, Pastor Samuel has about five visitors every week. It's growing, but children's church there is hurting, okay? Stay line, we're about four short. Here in Janesville, we're a lot more than that short. And so we're going to pray about that. If you would consider doing a weekend job on top of what you normally do. We've had the videos that we've been showing you, the different areas of ministry, and we've got a couple more coming, but we'd love to have you on one of the teams. Uh, thank you for those of you out in the homeless shelter. Thank you for the good work that was done there this week. Don't forget the back-to-school bash. We hope to help, help hundreds of children as they go back to school. And what else am I forgetting, Gary? There's something else. I'm up here thinking... Oh, Pastor Tim, good thing I remember this one. Uh, the small group, Grow and Harvest, are here. The book, Grow and Harvest. We have a vision, seeing people come to faith and maturity in Christ. We do that through our mission, Plant, Water, Grow, Harvest. And so we're taking hundreds of you online as well through this book that Pastor Tim wrote. There'll be videos, small group discussion. Your books are here. If you've not joined a small group, you still can. You can still sign up. They start this week. BSF starts this week. When, uh, Tuesday at 6.40 right here at the church. Ladies, you're going through the book of Matthew. In BSF, we're anticipating 70 to 80 women from around the city to join us through that. 
Church has to be arrows in, arrows out. Have you noticed that? We've got all these things to edify and build ourselves up, but we are always, always going out into the community, using our gifts and passions to serve the Lord. So let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for beating us today, challenging us, preparing us through your word. We also pray now for the volunteers, for these next two GPSs today and next month are very important. And so we pray for volunteers to be able to meet our goal, and particularly in the children's ministry, in Spanish, and State Line, and right here, uh, Lord, that you'd help us to strengthen that important ministry to our children. We pray these things in Jesus' name. We thank you for the offering we're about to receive and how you blessed us financially, bless gift and giver now as we give in person here and online. Uh, we thank you for your provision. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today.
Thanks for tuning in to the Faith Community Church Podcast. We are glad that you joined us and hope that you were blessed by the message. If you would like to join us in the ministry of sharing the Word of God, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star review. This helps us build the analytics of the channel, allowing us to better reach people in the name of Christ. Go be the light in your family, your community, and your church. God bless you.